This is Kevin Finkel back with our fourth episode of Magic the Final Frontier. On this podcast, we discuss Frontier, the non-rotating magic format which plays cards from Magic 2015 and onward. Our hope of this podcast is to be the number one online source for Frontier lovers, keeping up to date with what is new, powerful, and interesting in the world of Frontier. I'm joined today by my co-hosts and experts, Matt Murday, uh, the grinder from Toronto, Ontario, and Kevin Hanlon, host of Untap Open League, an online competitive Frontier League. On tonight's show, we're going to exile some cards from our graveyard and delve right back into the competitive Frontier scene, starting specifically with that of the face-to-face games in Toronto. For those who don't know, face-to-face is really the place to be for competitive Frontier right now. So we always look closely at what decks are winning there. After that, we're going to be finally taking a look at our Untap Open League, which we've been promising Kevin we'd cover by going over the winning list from last season, and diving into what we think Seasons 2 is going to look like, with some analysis and predictions. So without further ado, I want to take a look at the top 8 from the final Frontier Showdown in Toronto. So, unfortunately, the pa- this past showdown was the last showdown hosted by face-to-face games for Frontier. Uh, fortunately, the Toronto community is passionate enough that another local game store has decided to pick up Frontier. And that'll be A&C Games going forward. So they're, they're going to carry the torch, uh, basically picking up where face-to-face went, uh, left off. Well, thank you, Matt. I think I want to reiterate that this doesn't mean that Frontier is dying out. This is just, it's a movement. We had some people that were really passionate about Frontier at that store and face-to-face that have now moved on to other locations. That, that's exactly right. It's not that, that uh, Frontier has died or anything like that. It's just uh, the people who had been pushing Frontier at face-to-face games no longer work at face-to-face games. Because we knew in advance that this showdown was going to be the last one, I think we saw people playing, kind of focusing on more on what they wanted to play for fun rather than what was necessarily the best. There was there was a ton of four-color nonsense decks there this time. So I think you got to keep that in mind as we uh, go through the show notes here. You know what? I'm excited to see that, actually. So I will jump right into these top eight lists. We're going to begin with number eight. I actually will not cover this deck very much. It is Dylan Harkness on Grixis and Soul, and it's actually the same list that he played uh, in the showdown... No, in the uh, North America Champs that we covered in our first episode. So the only thing I wanted to touch on on this deck is that we had a little confusion last time about the implement of Combustion. He was running four of these main deck, and it seems he's something he's still interested in because he's still running this. So just to clarify, that is the one-mana artifact and it has, you can pay red and sacrifice it to deal one damage to target player. And when it leaves play, you draw a card. So baseline, you could just play it, pay one and a red, sacrifice it, do one to a player, and draw a card. That's kind of anemic. It doesn't do very much. Why this is really in the list is because he wants those cheap artifacts to power his improvise, to power his shrapnel blasts, which is great for that. And as well as that, if that's in play, Sahili combo just can't go off through him because he can always just deal one, redirect it to Sahili and wipe out that combo. I think we had missed that on the first episode when we were talking about it. Could be, but that's a great catch, and it's really important. Yeah, that is pretty clever for sure. So do you guys have anything to say about uh, Insol making it to the top eight again? Not really. I think it's one of those lists that it, it can steal wins pretty easily. Uh, I think it's a little more fragile than a Tarka Red, and I think I think a Tarka Red kind of does what it does but better. That's always been my opinion on on Insol, though. So I, I could be off base. Maybe I just I just don't like the the kind like the archetype. I think it's comparable to Jeskai Flyers as like one of the tier two burn lists. Um, it it does a really good job of just stacking up a lot of aggro quickly. But yeah, Atarka's Reds blowouts are bigger. So in sixth place and seventh place at this showdown, we had two Abzan aggro lists, and these are the only Abzan aggro we see in the top eight. So we don't have a 
back and forth one and two finish like we did in the last one. Now both of these lists, they look a lot more like the second place list. They're not running the full vehicle package, trying to get their lands to work with Spire of Industry. They're both uh, more depending on those starts with Elvish Mystic into large three drops, four drops. So I have a couple notes on both of these lists. The, the two players were Chris Ha and Benny Wong. For Chris's list, he was focusing a little bit more on tireless tracker. He had a few more lands, trying to get that grind out game going. Whereas for Benny's list, he had the walking ballista, and he was also trying out Gideon of the Trials main board. So he had two of those in addition to two of the bigger Gideon. This is before the Planeswalker change went into effect, though. So this is a, an interesting decision on his list. What do you guys think about these two lists? I, I think it is, and I, I don't know what your take on this is, Matt, but I, I think that it's a misnomer to call either of these lists an aggro list because of how much removal they're each running. The absent aggro lists that we were seeing previously usually had six removal spells, and these are each pushing ten. Yeah, the Chris Ha list has two absent charm, three Dromoka's command, four fatal push main board. And the other list has one more abs and charm, the same amount of Dromoka's command, same amount of fatal push. I'd be just as happy calling it aggressive mid-range, but I think it, it still does lean on the aggro side with just uh, efficiently costed bodies. And it, it, it does race, right? The decks does definitely still want to race a little bit at least. So Yeah, I would be more comfortable calling it a mid-range deck that leans on its creatures heavily. But um, yeah. Anyway, so the thing that stands out to me about these two lists, and I wouldn't have actually made this call myself because I, I i didn't expect so much abzan and like abzan splash uh at at this tournament but i love the the tireless tracker and gideon uh, of the trials not generally speaking but for this particular event because it was so much abzan and i think gideon of the trials really really contributes a lot when they only have a few big creatures you know like an anafenza and a rhino uh, he, he's really good at just walling them off. And then I think the tireless tracker also kind of contributes to the same kind of grindy uh, value over time. So I, I think for this particular tournament, it was a great call on the part of both players, one that I personally wouldn't have made myself. I would have leaned on something a little more standard, expecting a more Sahili, Sahili combo, basically. Yeah, same. It, it seems as though like both of these guys really had the intention of grinding them out, which is like a surprisingly good call. <laughs> I, I think they made a great read. A lot less of the field overall was hard aggro, which is a spot where Gideon of the Trials, he's all right, but he's not amazing. And, and Tireless Tracker is generally pretty bad into aggro. So it was it was definitely the right call into this, into this tournament. Absolutely. All right, well, thank you guys. If we're looking at lists that are really grindy, really using a lot of removal, this next list is just something completely out of left field. So the fifth, fifth place list was won by Liam Kane on... Mardu, I'm going to call it Mardu Control, maybe Mardu Midrange, something along those lines. I think it's fair to just call it Mardu Vehicles. Mardu Vehicles. I yes. agree. It's certainly one of the grindier Mardu Vehicles we've seen. So it's got four Toolcraft Exemplar, four Thraven Inspector, four Hangerback Walker, but no Ballista. So that's somewhat normal for a list like this, other than the Ballista. And then it's got the four Scat Peep Scrounger, three and a half Pia and Kieran Alar, which is three, three Pia. It's it. got... <laughs> Pia Kiranalar is a three of, and then Pia Nilar alone as a one of. It's not running some of the things that we normally see. So there's no fatal push, there's no lightning strike. Instead, for spells, they've got Crackling Doom as a four of, Shrapnel Blast as a four of, Unlicensed Disintegration as a four of, and they're running six vehicles, four of the Copter and two of the Heart of Kirin, which is a little bit high. We normally see more like five. That is a lot of removal, a lot of slow, aggressive spells to kill things like Abzan. 
What do you guys think of this list? I mean, th- this is really crazy. It's rare to see this many three-costed, like, like three CMC removal spells. That's kind of absurd at this stage in the metagame. But I guess with that many early drops, you can afford to have a lot of expensive removal. And I mean, part of it, I think, is also that we just we saw a slower metagame at this last 1K. It, just, it, was, it was a slower metagame. No two ways about it. Yeah, I think based on my observations, that's definitely true. Is that what you were going to touch on as well? I mean, obviously it worked well for, for him at this event. I think I would have liked to see the four unlicensed disintegration just be Lightning Strike. Um, but other than that, I'm really happy with the list. I think I really like Shrapnel Blast in a vehicle's list, uh, which is, is not something I've seen a lot of in this format. Yeah, it sounds like, uh, like I, I mean, personally, I would be really excited to Shrapnel Blast off a clue token. Yeah. Like, that would just be pretty boss. That sounds good. I'm going to move on to our fourth place list, which was run by Simon Tubello, and it's another Grixis Control list, which I'm quite happy about. So this list, it looks really good. To me, it almost was like, oh, wow, was this person listening to our first podcast when we talked about Grixis Control? (laughs) Because this is doing exactly what we said that those control lists weren't doing. They brought down their number of Torrential Gear Hulks and their Dig Through Times. They've only got two Gear Hulk, three Dig Through Time. They've got the Jace's main board. They've got Kalidus main board as a two of. They've got Tassiger main board, which is a, a big thing. And then they're really pushing against those aggro decks with four Fatal Push and a Fiery Impulse, which makes sense. I feel like sometimes you want more than just those four Fatal Push if you could run them. They're also running four Sensor, and they've got two Yehenny's Expertise main deck as a sweeper, which I thought was quite interesting. So the reason this harkens back to uh, the first podcast where we were talking about Grixis Control is because I was referencing Simon Tubello's list. And this is, this is another Simon Tubello uh, Grixis Control list. All right on. Well, I kind of wanted to bring this deck to you, Matt, because, you know, last week we talked about what you thought, or two weeks ago, really, we talked about what you thought were in the top decks of the format, and you're still saying, no, Grixis Control doesn't get there. But we keep seeing these control lists making top eight numbers. Do you have any way to defend it? So the main reason I think normally I would say Grixis Control is high tier two is because of Sahili Combo. Uh, and having played at this particular event, I can tell you there were next to no Sahili lists. I think I saw one. So I guess... I think Grixis Control, there's no, you'll never hear me say it's a bad list. I, I just think it struggles against the combo, and there's nothing wrong with seeing a Tier 2 list in the top 8. I think I think that's a thing that can happen. Kevin, do you feel the same way about this deck? I think that if there's a control list that is pushing Tier 1, like if there's a Tier 1.5 control list, it's Grixis Control. I think it has the most answers to the most decks in the format. Alright, so despite what we were saying was a grindy metagame, not too many people on hyper aggro, our next three lists, all of them go just full-on aggro. Our third place list by Daniel Fournier, or Fournier if you're going to talk with an American accent. It's an Atarka Red list, but a little bit different. He's running four of the Earthshaker Kenra, so he's taking this out of what's been successful in ramen up Red in Standard. It's the 2-1 with haste, if you haven't seen it, when it enters the battlefield... It can make a creature unable to block that has power less than or equal to its power. And it's also able to come back from the graveyard with the internalized ability coming back as a 4-4. I'm not sure how much we'll actually get to 6 mana, but he seems to be taking away from some of their slots that might have been Abbot of Carol Keep and going for this more aggressive Earthshaker Kenra in this list. Otherwise, it's fairly stock. It's got the same, you know, 10 one-drops we're used to seeing. It's got the Atarka's Command. It's got Smuggler's Copter. Nothing too out of the ordinary in this list. 
Yeah, I agree. This is like super standard Atarka Red, but with Earthshaker Kenra, and I have always thought that that would be a pretty easy fit into the Atarka Red list. And and the more I think about it, the more I think I really do like it more than Abbot of Carol Keep. Uh, for some reason, it never kind of clued into me that Earthshaker Kenra has haste, uh, which to me really, really puts it over the top of uh, Abbot of Carol Keep with just, you know, you just want to be forcing through damage over and over and over again as Tarka Red. You only care about the race, and I think Earthshaker Kenra is just better at racing than uh, other or than Abbot of Carol Keep is. So that would be my pick, too. I think I think that's a good call. Yeah, I agree. And also it can come back as a late drop that can stop anything with power four or less from blocking, which is really impressive. So it's great early. It's great late. So we do have one more Tarka list, a Tarka red list, which was the winning deck. But before that, I want to talk about another really fun list we got to see here. And this is a blue-white humans deck piloted by Matt Meeling. So it's not the 22 one-drop version of white humans that we've seen. It's more of the slightly slower version with Archangel of Ties mid deck, a uh, main deck. It's got the Smuggler's Copter main deck. So it's got those proactive answers to Sahili in the deck with the Archangel, the Thalia. It's got that really good matchup against Atarka Red usually with, again, the Archangel, with Thalia, with Life Gain off the Glorybound Initiate. But he's doing this little bit of blue splash, and that gives him access to Reflector Mage in the main deck. And then in the side deck, he has four copies of Negate, which I assume is there against Combo, against a number of things that Negate is just a great card. So I'm curious, what about the Combo are you expecting to get with Negate? The Planeswalker, I imagine. Yeah, the, the Planeswalkers, the Sweepers is probably the biggest part, is that if they're not able to sweep away the things. Yeah, I think the Sweepers is the real answer there. Sahili just doesn't mind trading card for card when it comes to dealing with the combo, because again, the fair game is so good, and the fair game is mostly on the back of, of Fumigate, basically. Fumigate and Planeswalkers. Yeah. Uh, I, I also really like, he didn't do it here, but I really like Selfless Spirit in these kind of lists. I think it contributes in the same kind of way. That makes sense. I would do the same kind of role. So there's a little bit more I want to talk about this deck. His He's got a removal base that's kind of all over the place. He's got one Declaration Stone, one Cast Out, one Stasis Snare, and one Valorous Tense, which all seem to be for slightly different answers for slightly different decks. And then the other really cool thing he's doing with this list is his mana base. He's got 20 lands in here. He's only got the one Prairie Stream for blue, which he can find off of the four Flooded Strand, four Windswept Heath. And he can also find it off the Knight of the White Orchid. Eight regular planes, but then he's doing some other things. He's got a one of Westvale Abbey in the list. And he also has two of the Sheffet Dunes, which is the desert coming from Hour of Devastation. It can tap for white by paying a life. It can tap for colorless without paying a life. Or you can pay four and tap it, sacrifice a desert, which it is itself a desert. Creatures you control get plus one, plus one until end of turn, only as a sorcery. So he's kind of trying to take advantage of that mana base a little bit more than we normally see from these mono-white, mono-planes decks. I think that it's pretty standard right now to have a Westvale Abbey in a deck that goes wide, just because it gives you a backup plan at instant speed as an answer to Languish, or as a backup plan to like someone who's matching you creature for creature when you're going wide, like in a mirror. And then I something that I thought that was really interesting in the list was the trimming of Thalia's Lieutenants. Usually that's like the build-around for a deck like this, like running more Knights of the White Orchid and and only three of Thalia's lieutenants is really curious, but Matt Meeling is obviously the aggro pro, so there's got to be some reason for it. As someone who's played a lot of mono-white aggro, you really can't cut Knight of the White Orchid. Uh, the big thing is it lets you go lower on lands, and the tempo swing when it comes into play and fetches you a land is insane. It's super underrated. Yes, Thalia's lieutenant's good, 
Knight of the White Orchid is better in in a deck that can utilize easily hit the double white. That's uh, that's really assertive. That's that's quite the claim. But yeah, I uh, I get it. So cool. So I do have a few more questions to kind of throw to you guys about this list. The first thing is that. He's got white, he's got this blue aggro list, and we were just talking about Ixalan and how there's all these new tools for blue aggro. Kind of seems like Ixalan came to Matt Mealing early here. Would this be improved if we could be switching out those negates for spell pierce, or maybe some of those blue card draw spells that we saw as favored for aggro? I'm not 100% sure. I think mono white kind of... J- this is so much mono white, it, it's barely blue. I, I have trouble... I don't think I'd want to add chart of course, or definitely not opt, because just... All your creatures are outside of uh, Thalia's Lieutenant and uh, Knight of the White Orchid. They're all pretty similar, right? The whole, the goal is to just get them all on the board and go wide with them, right? Yeah, totally. I uh, I agree. I'm not I'm not hot on running Opt or Charter Course in this list. It it very very much wants to lean on its on. It's not even a half on its eighty percent white portion to deal damage and gain life. So. So I think there's another interesting splash you can do with Mono White Humans, and that's green, uh, especially for Renegade Rallier and Dromoka's Command. Uh, I think Dromoka's Command is a lot better than any other removal available in white colors, especially in a deck that wants to go wide and can get uh, pretty big creatures on the back of Thalia's Lieutenant and uh, Always Watching. So I, I, I think I, I personally like the white green better. Uh, and what Reflector Mage tells me in this list I'm fairly certain Mealing was expecting a meta full of green-black scales because it's a traditionally difficult matchup for mono-white humans, and Reflector Mage is a huge blowout when scales is the, you know investing in their creatures, investing in their creatures, and, and making them bigger and bigger over time incrementally. Getting Reflector Mage, then, is a pretty huge blowout for scales. I really wish that you were using scales in this in the uh, untap open league this season because like we hardly ever see it in our meta game. I think we'll get to that shortly. Now I had one more question about this list is because we saw on the NA champs list Matt Mealing came out and he gave us a that little tiny green splash in or the little tiny black splash in a Tarka red, and now he's here. He's got a little bit of blue splash in mono white humans. What's the next splash deck that we're going to see out of Matt Mealing? Do you guys have any guesses? I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you. <laughs> He's an unpredictable man. Blue Atarka Red <laughs> for Opt. <laughs> I think that's just Teamer, but I'll move. I'll use that to move on to the winning list, which was an Atarka Red list, piloted by John Blinov. This is a little bit different from the Atarka Red we've seen, so we will actually go into this. He was running only the one-drops, the 11 one-drops of Monastery Swift Spear, Soul Scar Mage, and Zergo Bell Striker. And then he was just all in on spells. He's got the four Tarkus Command, four Lightning Strike, four Stoke the Flames, which we usually don't see all four of, four Wild Slash, four Incendiary Flow. That's the two mana, three damage sorcery, which exiles a creature if it deals the damage to it. Uh, he also has the full playsets of Dragon Fodder as Horling Art and Horling Outburst, going big on the tokens portion of it, probably to fuel, fuel his Stoke the Flames. But what's notably missing from this list is there's no Smuggler's Copter in this list at all. And then there's no other two-drop creatures that we see. Do you think that this was a good transition for the deck? Do you think that this was something smart? Or is this something very specific to this meta? I'm interested to see what you guys thought about this list. It's interesting. I think it's uh, fairly lean. The use of incendiary flow is really a head-scratcher for me. I'm uh, I, I'm mostly interested in using a Tarka Red as an instant speed list. 
Um, one of the one of the things that's great about it is it can leave just like a single mana up to, or what what appears to be a single mana up to just have blowouts against combo, and like you for example in this case you can stoke the flames against either piece of the combo and destroy it. So here's the thing about that is. You can still do that with this list. You still have all the other interaction that lets you hold that one mana up and act, act on instant speed. I think what we see a lot in Atarka Red is they're not really playing at instant speed because a lot of it's just, you know, they're, they're... Tap everything out. Yeah, tap everything out and then use their spells for prowess. So I think Incendiary Flow, or incendiary flow makes a lot of sense. And the decision to go Incendiary Flow and all this burn instead of Copter basically says, I'm not interested in playing this game where... You know, I slowly use my copter to chip away at you to break these ground stalls that happen. You know, in, in the event that you just get a board that's too big. Uh, in that event, I'm just going to chuck my burn at your face and you're probably still going to die because I've it, probably dealt some damage before you were able to stabilize, right? Yeah, totally. I can see that. I mean, uh, there's not a there's not a single burn spell here that doesn't say or player on it. So That's exactly right. So the only other thing I can say about this list is that Matt Mealing has assured me he would have won this matchup and the tournament if he had played this match, but he was hungry, and he chose to drop instead of playing uh, <laughs> playing the finals. Now, we, we do traditionally say that white is a good matchup against a darker red, so that does make some sense. But we can't prove that without it having happened. And I think Reflector Mage makes it a lot worse for, for a darker red as well. All right, so cool. I don't want to take too much time talking about just the top eight list, so I do want to move on to the next section of our show where we're going to mention, finally, is the Untap Open League. So the season one has ended. This was an online league played through Untappen, which is an online site, and it was run by our host here, Kevin. If you, if you want to talk a little bit about the league, please go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's been really great. I started the Untap Open League. Well, I, un- I started the Untap Frontier League uh, with the intention of having just a consistent group of people to play with and having tournaments available. And it has turned into just a burgeoning community that's really enjoyable, highly competitive, full of spikes. And it's it's just like an awesome place to, feel, to field ideas through and to, I, I mean, just up my skill as a magic player in general. So... I'm I'm really grateful for everyone who's joined so far, and I'm I'm really excited to see our league growing at the rate that it has. Um, we're expecting a triple turnout from the first season in season two, so it's it's excellent, and I uh, I'm over the moon about it. I, I can't be more excited. Yeah. Now, by the time this podcast drops, we're going to have already finished with the signups for that league, but we're hoping that some of our listeners will have heard last week and. Uh, taken a look, maybe joined in. We want to touch briefly on the finishers from Season 1. So what we had is the winning list, and we've mentioned it before on the show, is that it was a Maru's Vehicles list. A little bit different than the one we just saw in the showdown. So this deck, it's a little bit more Planeswalker heavy, a little bit less crazy on those 3-drop removals. So he's running the more normal removal with 2 push, 2 abrade, 2 Kolagon's command, which is something else we didn't see there, and 4 Crackling Doom as well. And then he's got Planeswalker's main deck. He has a full four Gideon as well as a Sorin, plus some in the side deck with Nahiri. So it's a little bit bigger in that way, but it's also more aggressive because it's not counting on all of those three-drop removal spells that we just saw out of the showdown. He also has a few three-drop creatures instead. He's got two Rebel Master in the main deck and two Thalia, which we've talked about as a great 
kind of meta card that beats a lot of those top decks. Now, what do you guys think about this deck compared to the one that we just saw out of Toronto? Yeah, so this is definitely a meta call. I think that a lot of what this list was built to do is, first off, handle vehicles matchups. Like, the braids in the main board is really, really good. Also, um, there were two players who brought Marvel to this uh, to this tournament, and so being prepared for Marvel was really important. By the way, uh, neither of the Marvel players placed in Top Cut. Just a bit of a spoiler there. And uh, it, it actually performed the most poorly out of any of the alleged Tier 1 decks. So I've I've been really just lukewarm on Marvel lately. And one of the reasons for it is that a lot of lists are prepared for it, as far as I can tell. I think that the use of Goblin Rabble Master um, alongside vehicles is, a, is an excellent call. Because it it's a proving combo at this point. You can crew during combat and it, it with your goblin, and it's it's just really impressive on that front. Um, so it gives you just another option for crewing up. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of the list. It's very lean. Points to my friend Glasses here. Uh, he he really took it over the top, and he is new to the format. So to have championed the first season is really impressive. Matt, what about you? Do you think that you would rather be running this list in a blind open meta, or would you rather be running Liam Kane's list that we just saw? Definitely Liam Kane's list. Uh, with the exception that I'd want to change a few of the removal spells to be a little lower in cost. I, I do like the Gideon Ally of Zendikar main board, but Liam, K- Liam Kane's list looked a lot more streamlined to me, and I really, really like... Uh, Shrapnel Blast is what you were liking. Shrapnel before. Blast. Yes. <laughs> that, that is that is what I like. So I think I I think the the best version of this list is probably somewhere in between uh, this list and Liam Kane's list. I'm not a huge fan of Goblin Rattle Master because it just it dies to everything. As much as it is good when it lives, it just never lives. Two two toughness is so low that it's. It's just it's just not the same level of impact as like Thalia, Heretic, Cathar, or Tireless Tracker, which generally replaces itself at least when it comes in. Um, so Thalia, Heretic, Cathar tends to defend herself a lot better, basically, is what I'm saying. Uh, it's hard to fetch with Thalia, Heretic, Cathar on board, right? So if I play her, it's it's not as easy for them to just, you know, next turn, throw down a fetch, crack it, fatal push. It, it's not as easy to answer Thalia and that's a big part of why she's good because she she semi defends herself rabble master while he does have this this amazing synergy with smuggler's copter two toughness is just really low he doesn't defend himself he doesn't block well like Thalia does and I just I'm I'm a lot less hot on rabble master basically I think I think you need a much lower curve list to be running uh, rabble master effectively well, that was Jesse Voati's list for with Mardu Vehicles. We also wanted to talk a little bit about Matthew McTavish's list, which was a Mardu... I'm going to call it Control. If I was going to call the other one Midrange, this one's definitely Control. So this is a list I'm really interested in. Before I get into it, it's kind of something I was talking about on our second podcast. I brought up the idea of, if we're trying to beat aggro lists, why haven't lists started to go bigger? Why haven't they started running more Planeswalkers in the main deck, more Sweepers, more big removal that has a big effect? And it seems like that's exactly what Matthew did with this list. He has gone really big, whole lot of Planeswalkers. So looking at this list, it starts off with a lot of cheap interaction. So he's got the pushes, he's got 
He's got four, four Fatal Push, he's got two Magma Spray, he's got three Cut to Ribbons, and he also has two Colagons Command, two Crackling Doom, one Cast Out, and three Never to Return, plus two Radiant Flames and three Fumigate in the main deck. So that's a whole lot of ways to just take out anything and everything that Haggard Lists are trying to do. And then afterwards, he just plays Planeswalker after Planeswalker. So he has three Gideon of the Trials, but no, none of the larger Gideon. He has one Nahiri, two Obnixilis, one of the six-drop Sorin, and finally an Ugin in the main deck, without any way to ramp or cheat him out of here. So this is just a list that's going as big as possible, and just trying to win by there being no way to keep up with these Planeswalkers. Do you think that this is a good list? Do you think this is something awesome like I do? Or do you guys... I want to hear your opinion on it, especially with from you, Kevin, who's actually played against the list. Yeah, uh, funny you should say that, because Matt was my round one opponent. So uh, I I went into this matchup on a mid-range list, which was a poor choice. Um, this was well before Aggro had like, cemented its foothold in the metagame. And so I... Uh, I played against it, and I helped him brew it as well. Like... He fielded a lot of ideas past me, and uh, past a lot of us, because he was fairly novice going into this tournament, and he uh, he was like, no, nah, I think I just kind of want to kill the minions, like, going into it, like, no, I think I just want planeswalkers and removal, and that was, like, the whole idea, and, like, all of us are, uh, you know, mentioning, like, you should you should probably have a, a little bit of like early game board presence. I don't know. It seems like a bad idea. Like maybe have a little bit of early game board presence. And he's like, nope, just want removal, and I, I just want to kill the minions. And it's like, okay, cool. So and he did so well. I think that the standouts in the deck are Chandra, um, Torch of Defiance, because it's his primary way of gaining card advantage. And then Gideon of the Trials, basically once he has removed your early board presence, anything that you play afterward, um, if you don't have a way to turbo out a lot of things, uh, Gideon's just going to hose you from getting an edge. And then he has more time to recharge, rebuild, and get back to removing so that he can kill you with Gideons and with ultimates and with Chandra. So it's pretty great. Um, Very grindy. And I'm surprised it got as far as it did, but at the same time, like it, it proves that it was a decent brew. So Matt, what you what you've countered with before is that Sahili eats these kind of lists. Do you think that this is only really here because there was some Sahili in the Untap Open League? I've looked through the other lists that were played. There was a Sahili list. There was a Marvel list that was running the Sahili combo, but this still got through those. It still made it all the way into the top four and then made it into the second place finisher. I think this list would struggle against Sahili. Uh, I don't think it's a hopeless matchup, but I, I definitely think a, a properly tuned uh, full-power Sahili list would give this some trouble. There's a lot of things I like here, uh, but there's a few of them, few little pieces that I think could be improved. Uh, those pieces in particular are Ujin. I think it's just, it's a lot of mana, and you have enough Planeswalkers with grindy incremental value. Uh, yeah, you're going to win, if you're gonna if you're playing Ujin, but he kind of feels like win more. By the time you can cast an eight mana card in, in this kind of deck, you, you probably have the juice to just win, right? Uh, secondly, I think at six mana, uh, Grim Nemesis is asking a lot. I think I'd like to see something a little lower curve in that slot. 
uh, could even still be a planeswalker. But otherwise, I, I do like the list. I think there's, I definitely think there's something to it. But I, I, I think, I think a big part of that is changing with Ixalan and the planeswalker rule. So this list will not look at all the same once Ixalan drops. Especially, we'll see Ujin probably replaced by uh, Zendikar Chandra. Uh, is it which Chandra is that? So that's a flame. Flame Yeah, yeah. I think she just does that job a lot more efficiently. And I think there's kind of that cool uh, tactic of curving Chandra Torch of Defiance into Chandra uh, Flame Caller. Yeah, so it's a quick one-two punch that that's probably going to end the game pretty quickly. Uh, also, post Ixalan, there's definitely Papa Gideon in this list. No question about it. Yeah, most definitely. Being able to run Gideon Tribal in this list would be really, really good. Yeah, and that's probably where I would go with the uh, Grim Nemesis slot. And I, I would, I feel like I'd probably be cutting Nahiri as well. So looking after that, we have a third and fourth place finisher that I just want to briefly touch on. We had our own uh, Thomas Stodgrass was playing a Just Guy Black list in our third and fourth place. He, uh, we, we don't see so much of this. We mostly see the Grixis control now, but Splashing for the White gives him access to the Soulfire Grandmaster as well as he's running Monastery Mentor, which is uh, something we haven't seen too much of. But still, a lot of those control elements that we expect, a lot of the two-for-ones with things like Kolagon's Command, then branching into the Dig Through Times. In our fourth-place list, we had a deck that... It, it's going to bring some laughs from our crew, but you guys don't know why, but it's Esper Vehicles. <laughs> so this was a deck that was piloted by uh, Rasmus Ennegreen, but it's a list that a number of people were testing for the uh, UOL before anyone really got to it. So a lot of people were thinking, oh, maybe Esper Vehicles is the way to go. And there's a little bit of, uh, there's some benefit to it. So why don't you guys talk about what's good about Esper as a Vehicles deck rather than Green, Abzan, or something else. And in addition to this, we don't have to go too in-depth in it. Uh, Resmus also has written about this deck quite a bit. So that we'll post in our podcast notes if you want to read more about the Esper Vehicles deck. Yeah, so Esper Vehicles gives a little bit more interaction with a lot of things that... Um, that Mardu Vehicles struggles with a little bit. Specifically, um, it's got flash speed creatures, which is pretty great, uh, especially in Spellqueller. And the the blowouts against this deck always seemed to involve Spellqueller and Metallic Rebuke, which didn't seem to have a capability of doing much, and then like you'd think that you were in a safe spot because there's one blue mana left up and you forget that your opponent's got some clues hanging out and they can just tap a whole bunch of clues in order to cast metallic rebuke, which is really interesting. Um, it's a great list. Like I, the, the jokes that are about it are mostly because, uh, Rasmus wouldn't shut up about it for like the longest time running. And so it's just like this thing where it's like, yeah, yeah, we get it's a good list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Hey, Rasmus, what do you think about Esper vehicles? Like, so, um, really, really impressive performance. Um, I, I also like that it's hosted in an article that we'll be linking in the show notes. Um, it, it's, it's a good list. There have been a lot of changes that Rasmus has, has wanted to make to it post-season, so it, it evidently looks completely different now. Um, but yeah, as, as like a rough draft of it, it, it's a fantastic deck. Well, that's a big part of magic, is always improving. Matt, did you have anything to say about Esper Vehicles? Otherwise, I wanted to move on to one more thing that I really want to bring up in this show. Yeah, Matt, what do you think about Esper Vehicles? 
I think it's pretty good, honestly. I think I think most vehicles lists are just pretty good. Uh, the, the solid base for just vehicles being really good, throw in some good interaction. Uh, you get your just good cards in whatever colors you're running, right? So we can have Esper vehicles. We can have Adzan vehicles. We can have Mardu vehicles. Uh, the common tying colors seem to be white-black, which makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, Fatal Push, obviously the best removal in the format. And white really likes vehicles the most, yeah. Yeah, it really does. Uh, Thraben Inspector is fantastic. The ability to run Gideon Ally of Zendikar is huge. It's easily the best Planeswalker in the format. So yeah, I, I, I think basically you can do a good vehicles list across most color combinations. And this is no different. This is a great list. All right, so I want to move on to the other part of this is that we just finished talking about Season 1, but you, me, all of you guys, we, we've just been working and working on Season 2. Season 2, we've already, we'll have locked our list by the time this podcast comes out, but the few weeks prior we've been testing, we've been trying to find out what's going to be good, what's going to be new. How has testing gone for you guys for the new season with Ixalan included? So I'm definitely looking at just a Jeskai Sahili list. The big thing... I think we can accomplish with a Jeskai Sahili list now that Ixalan's out is just kind of leaning it down a little bit and cutting the green. As good as Renegade Rallyer and uh, Satyr Wayfinder are, I think being able to find your combo pieces and just your kind of general game plan sooner with Opt is really good. And I think it opens a lot of a lot of doors with interaction and just being leaner. Uh, also, I've talked about this before in the podcast. But the list I'm looking at is definitely, uh, it's, a, it's a Gideon tribal deck. It, it's, it's really Sahili Akids. So I've got four Gideon of the Trials and four Gideon uh, Ally of Zendikar in it. And it, the game plan basically is to just slam Planeswalkers and just wrath the board over and over again until they can no longer deal with your Planeswalkers. So Matt has actually shared his list with us that we're taking a look at alongside him right now. He's playing this Gideon list. He's playing removal alongside of it, just being able to basically make the opponent play all their creatures, and then you would just drop your fumigates, and you, all of your planeswalkers live. And eventually, you just got this Sahili-Rai combo in the background. I think it's something he's been talking about since we really did our first show, and we talked about this planeswalker uniqueness rule change, since we brought up Opt in the episode a couple after that. And I'm glad that it finally worked out, and you found a 75 that looks interesting to you. And this is actually another thing I meant to mention about the Mardu Planeswalker list we discussed, and I think I think it needs Hardakirin. Hardakirin is incredible on the backs of Planeswalkers. It's just so good. So you're thinking of putting Heart of Kirin in this list? Hardakirin is in this list, yeah. It's it's a two of right now. Oh, right. Yeah, I see that now. And it, it's uh, been performing very, very well, for sure. Ooh, now looking through this, the other spicy thing I see is that you've got four Fevered Visions in the sideboard right now. Yeah. Other Sahili combo lists, uh, control lists, really just those slow lists that want to just basically control the game and then take it late. They just can't beat Fevered Visions. Fevered Visions is eventually going to kill them pretty much no matter what. So having it in there is is basically just security. Basically saying, we're not going to get to a game state that I can't win anymore. Just because, for one... Fevered Visions is always card advantage, right? So I'm going to drop it, and it's going to replace a card for me before it replaces a card for them. If they want to destroy it, chances are they're going to have to basically take the hit on card while I'm up in card advantage for that. And just having a threat on the board is going to deal two damage to them basically every turn. 
is huge. It's really difficult to interact with. Most controllists just can't deal with enchantments. It's 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 really hard for them to deal with. Now, before you jump in here, Kevin, with what you've been doing, Matt, what other decks have you really tested? Is this the only deck that you were testing for, or were you trying out a bunch of things while you were planning to join this Open League for next season? So having not played in the Open League before, unfortunately, I really want to bring my thing in the ice list, but just it's it's not a deck that can handle just any field. It was tuned for a very specific field, and it just wouldn't... I don't want to take it into an, an untested field that I'm not familiar with. You may not be uh, locked in yet, but by the time this podcast comes out, you will be. Now, Kevin, why don't you tell me about the few decks that you've been testing and if you've settled on something already? Yeah, no, I still haven't settled. It's <laughs> honestly, like, it's ridiculously a stressful thing in my life right now. Like, I shouldn't be worrying about this 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 much, and I am. I, for the longest time, was super confident about, like, my Bant Human matchups. I was really, really confident. And then we started talking about Team Aggro on last week's episode, and I went down the rabbit hole. <laughs> and <laughs> I built the list. I, like, my first four, I, I swept my first four matches with it. It was just absolutely obscene. Just, like, this was, like, a list of four ofs that I just threw together and was... It's like, yeah, I should have some some early drops. I probably want some knuckle blades. Definitely want four opts. And um, that deck has just been doing incredibly well. And I don't want it to be doing as well as it is. Because I just want to confidently be able to say, yeah, being humans, the list that I'm on. Like, I... <laughs> I, I don't want Teamer to be good, and it's doing well. So so in your testing, have you been planning to beat some top decks that you know are going to show up in the meta, or are you just kind of thinking, this is something that's really strong in Frontier in general? I wanted something that was fast enough to go under Sahili and like thick enough to race with Abzan, and also resilient enough to answer control, right? And that's that's always been the positive side of Teamer, as an as an aggressive deck is that it has a lot of responses to control like the the con of the teamer uh, the the teamer con prevents your creatures from getting countered uh Sarak. and uh like savage knuckle blade is just a giant mana sink that sticks really well swings fast and like if it makes it through turns is really really hard to remove um and then I spiced it up with a full playset of Ripjaw Raptor, which has been doing so well against the aggro decks, just because no one wants to attack into it. So basically the way that Ripjaw has been reading lately is unblockable. And so you're consistently getting in for 4 damage every turn. Um, Ronus loves everything in this list, because like if I'm playing a Lamhole Pacifist and then saying go, um, it flips. And then next turn, I've got something that can turn on Ronus. So it's, yeah, I, everything in the deck is super synergistic and also stands well on its own as far as I can tell. Um, the biggest overperformer has been Abbot of Carol Keep. I picked it because a lot of Teamer Twin lists in uh, Modern were running it back in the day. And it's a great way to fix mana believe it or not, like, oftentimes I'm getting two lands on this list in my opening hand, and if I have an Abbot of Carol Keep, I'm fine keeping that. Because, like, an Opt and an Abbot 
and two lands, I still have plenty of plays to make on turn two and plenty of ways to get that third land so that I can hit my Knuckleblade or my Ronis. So I'm 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 really, really impressed with just how well everything kind of gels together in this deck, and it's not so overly synergistic and win more that nothing stands up on its own. Alright, so I heard from you Ripjaw Raptor. I also just heard you mention that you're running Opt in this list as well. Were there any other new cards that you've either tested or are adding into this list? I mean, it's really hard not to put Shaper Sanctuary into the sideboard of a green deck right Just now. any green deck. It, if I'm running an aggressive green deck, I want Shaper Sanctuary in the sideboard. It is incredibly powerful. Like, there's... Similarly to how Matt was talking about Fevered Visions being difficult for control lists to remove, this is an enchantment that you put down on turn one. That just says, yeah, go ahead and interact with my creatures. I don't care. Go ahead. Like, by the way, like, you get your trigger before their spell resolves. <laughs> so, like, I can draw a teamer charm and counter that spell if I have the mana open for it, which is insane to me. Like, I don't... The, the things the card does is super impressive. But Matt talking about Fevered Visions kind of got me thinking I might want to try that too. If you have the slots, uh, I'm seeing a lot. You're really spread out in, in your sideboard. So, so I'm not really sure if you have the slots for it. Although I definitely, I, me personally, I love Fevered Visions. I would find the slots just because I think it's a great card into a lot of matchups. It's, it's just a card that a lot of matchups just cannot beat. You know, it's kind of going off topic, but I wanted to ask you about Fevered Visions. Do you think that it's a main deck card for any decks? Or do you think that it's strictly a sideboard option against these grandier decks? Some really aggressive uh, red-blue decks can do it. Personally, I wouldn't just because the thought of giving a Tarka Red more gas gives me nightmares. So uh, I don't think you would see me running <laughs> Fevered Visions made board anywhere. But what we've seen from Asher Mills Emmett's list uh, at the last showdown, I believe it was, uh, that, yeah, you can do it and have success with it. So What I want to go into is just a few predictions of what you guys think that Season 2 is going to look like. Maybe what you think the meta is going to look like is kind of the first big thing. Do you guys know any big decks you think are going to be a predominant archetype? So a couple guys are really hot on blue-black control right now. Um, and another thing that I think is going to break out is greenless Sahili at this point. I think just just guy Sahili is going to be a fantastic deck right now because being able to run so many Gideons is just... I mean... Matt broke into it, and I've been watching uh, Thomas Snodgrass testing it out as well. It's just a beating. Like, I can't believe how intense it is when you're looking at a board state that has Gideon of the Trials and Gideon Ally of Zendikar on the battlefield at the same time. It's just like, I don't know how you beat that, especially when they can run Fumigates, like, out constantly and wipe your board. Like, it's so hard to penetrate, and yeah, I, I'm just blown away by that list. So it's, it's good that we already got to talk about it because it's daunting. So Matt, you don't spend every day with the people like we, like we get from out of Kevin. So what do you think coming into a blind meta with this new season, what do you think is going to be very strong? Uh, truth be told, I, I couldn't tell you what your meta is going to be like. I haven't played in the Untap Open League before. Uh, I'm excited to do it this season, but I just... Like I was talking about earlier, and, and how I was making my deck choices, I, I just don't know. 
I, I've I've been told that there's going to be a strong control presence, which you know that's fine. But other than that, I I, I couldn't even venture a guess. Other than obviously looking at your uh, top eight. Yeah, I'm not expecting much of a vehicle's turnout this time, actually. But yeah, totally. The next question I have is, are there going to be any real wild card decks coming out this time? I mean, what's the Esper vehicles of this season, if that was the, the deck that was everyone talking about? So if I don't run it, I know that the guy that I've been testing it with the most is going to be on this Team Aragro list. I wouldn't be surprised to see it do well. I think, to me, Temer Agro is like still one, one good piece away from having that solid spot in the meta. I think... It's not like Abzan Agro has the advantage of just fantastic one drops, basically, uh, e- either in Elvish Mystic or in Warden of the First Tree. Uh, unfortunately, Warden of the First Tree doesn't fit into Temer Agro, and unlike yeah. unlike Abzan Agro, the things you can curve into on three as Temer, they're not quite as game ending, right? Like game, turn two Thalia is backbreaking because you just it shuts down their mana so early. And you basically get a life lead just because you because you played her. So you're swinging, you're swinging, and they just they can't catch up because their mana is all coming in slow. And because their mana is coming in slow, it's really hard to deal with Thalia, right? Because like I was saying earlier, Thalia kind of protects herself. Uh, so I think I think we really need to see either a good three drop that we can ramp into with Mystic, or we need to see a really high quality one drop uh, come for Temeragor to really make that step up towards where Abzan Agro is. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, when we like had our little pre-op about it, I, you were like, I think there's a piece missing. And I said, I agree. I think it's probably the one drop. And you were like, yeah. Yeah, yeah there's no Warden. There's no Toolcraft Exemplar. And Monastery Swift Spear don't doesn't really have the same effect in Teamer. Right, and there's no Thraben Inspector. Like, Thraben Inspector lets you draw a card. That's really, really great. Yeah. Okay, so the I last prediction that. I want from I you guys that. is what Exelon card do you think is going to see the most play? Or maybe set of cards is going to see the most play in this season? Opt, no question. Same. Yeah, opt. It's just, it's just so clearly the best card in the set uh, for Frontier. The most the most widely applicable. I shouldn't say the best. You know what? There, there's a lot of strong cards. Uh, but definitely it's the most widely applicable. You know? like it's just And everyone's hot on it. So it, I just... If we count the check lands as one card, do you think that they'll see more play than Opt will? I think we'll definitely see some check lands, um, specifically in shard mana bases. But uh, I think Opt is going to be more widespread. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna measure that once we have our final lists. See if I can uh, I can call you on it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll get you those lists. I, I actually think we will see more check lands, but I think uh, I think competitively speaking, that's incorrect. I think check lands are good, but I don't think you really need more than one or two in your uh, shard colored deck. And I think I think probably we'll see some kind of mistakes, I think, in that regard. They're small mistakes, uh, but I think people are going to overvalue them a little bit, and I think as a result they will see more play. Uh, but that's... It, that, it, it feels weird to compare, obviously, five cards to uh, just opt, you know? Yeah, most definitely. I, I think... I dialed back on my view of them a little bit after talking to you about it last week, but uh, I think I think three isn't really pushing it too hard. Yeah, that's probably okay. All right, guys, this has been a really great show. I think that we're running low on time, so I'm going to try and move us towards the end of it. All right, so in current events, we don't have any big tournaments to bring up, but we like to every week if there's anything big going on. The one thing that we do want to bring up here that's a huge thing going on in Magic right now 
is that Magic Arena has been announced. And this is, it's going to be Magic's new, it'll be on mobile, it'll be on your computer, it'll be completely free to play if you want it to be, and it's going to try and, it's a new MTGO, it's taking the book out of Hearthstone, trying to be more accessible to a number of people, which right now MTGO is not. It's something we're really excited about, we want to see where it's going, we're not sure how it'll relate to Frontier, but it's definitely, it's interesting, it's out there. I want to hear what you guys think about this. Uh, so I'll go first on this. I think that MTG Arena looks incredibly exciting. Like, to have the features of Magic kind of sprawled out in the way that they chose to do it is pretty great. Um, I know we've probably all had the experience of playing, playing Magic the Gathering online and finding it to be very, very clunky and unlike Paper Magic. Um, the way that they've really forced the stack onto players is um, kind of difficult. And scaling that back into, like, basically you have a button on MTG Arena right now that just says, all right, I want to hit F6. Like, I want full control mode now because I'm leaving all this mana up. But that's not a default. Like, you have to trigger that manually. And, like, it sends a very specific signal to your opponent about, like, your intentions, right? But I, I think it's far more effective. And I, I think that they've done a fantastic job of, of updating the face of Magic. Um, so that's, that's my personal take on it. I was already planning on drafting Ixalan a lot, and that's going to be a feature. And so like being able to do it in a, um, in a prettier format is exciting to me. So... The big thing I've been hearing about recently is the idea of an arena format. So that would be uh, Ixalan forward. Uh, obviously, there's some kind of speculation that this would step on the toes of Frontier a lot. But I think the reality is what we're going to end up seeing is I, I have a feeling we'll see arena backtrack to Origins. I think Wizards has been setting up for an Origins forward format uh, for a long time. And I think it's fairly obvious. It's, it's the the natural starting point to start it with Origins, you know? Uh, so I, I've said for a long time that I think Frontier will one day be an Origins forward format. And I think probably we'll end up seeing it in the form of Arena one day. I can also see that being something that we won't see anytime soon, though. But I'm excited about Arena as well. Just want to jump in and say that. I think the biggest thing that Arena could do is bring accessibility to Magic. If we bring more players in, no matter what format you're playing... Arena is going to be a good thing for you. Even if you can't play your favorite modern, your favorite frontier, maybe, if you can't play it on Arena, if you're still bringing people into the game, you're bringing people into stores, it's going to have more people playing the game, and that's just a good thing for anyone who likes Magic. Yeah, I uh, I think it looks pretty grindy, but that's fine, because Magic players love to grind. When I say grindy, um, they've chosen to adopt very much the economy that um, Hearthstone runs. That was kind of like They've been looking at, and when I say they, I mean Watsi has been looking at um, the Hearthstone competitive scene and the Hearthstone network and the Hearthstone market as something that they want for a while now. And so adopting that economy um, means that you'll either have to just load a ton of money into packs and then open and trade rares to actually get the deck that you want to build. Um, 
if if no one's ever used uh, like Hearthstone or played Hearthstone here, basically like you get in-game currency that you can trade in for cards, um, but you get those by like dissolving cards in your existing collection, and so. Um, there's that aspect, or you can draft to get rares, and you can draft to get packs. And so, personally, I'm probably going to be on the draft ladder. But, um, yeah, it, it, it'll be interesting to see how it pans out. I do hope that they scale it back to Origins. I'm really curious to know why you think that that's the natural starting point, though, Matt. I think it just... I mean, just think about it, you know. It, to me, it's always made sense that that's the way it's going to be. Um I love Frontier, and I think, I mean, I know a lot of people do, obviously, but we've heard from different sources at WotC over and over uh, that probably Fetchlands wouldn't be in their next format, right? So I think I think just the reality is that at some point, there is going to be another format. It's going to be Frontier-like, but there's probably going to be some changes to it, right? And, and I think... If, if there's going to be changes, the good money is on that format starting at Origins. Yeah, totally. I can see that. And they have specifically said that they want to have a non-rotating format that is in um, MTG Arena. No idea what they'd call it, but that's something that WotC is on the record about. So, And, and we also don't know how far they would scale it back. Um, <coughs> also, they have talked about going back to Modern, um, but it would be off the table for now for sure and it's something that specifically like any any direction that the mtg arena app takes is all based on community feedback and so they have explicitly stated that their intention for the product is to take advice from their community so if you want frontier and if you want modern and if you want you know like anything else legacy vintage Make sure that you're talking to Watsi. Make sure that you're talking to Wizards because it's it's super important. Right. And I think the last thing that I'm excited about, you had already touched on, is that it's going to be a competitive format. Like, right now, Hearthstone, you've got a lot of people watching that competitive scene. You don't have that for MTGO, not on the same level. And, I mean, right now we've got the League of Legends finals, which I'm just starting to watch, and we're going to have 80,000 people sitting in an arena watching people play that online. These online games are so big right now, and I'd love to see really not right now. So I'm very excited to see where Arena goes, and if we get any updates on it, we'll try and throw them out on the cast, even if it's not strictly related to Frontier. But guys, we are kind of running out of time for this episode. We've gone over a little bit getting excited about Arena there. So I want to have you guys, if if we're thinking about future shows, anything you guys want us to talk about, reach out and contact us. We're at MTG Frontier on Twitter. We're MTG underscore Frontier on Instagram. On Reddit, reddit.com slash r slash MTG Final Frontier. We also have a Discord, which you can find the link to there, and that's where you can contact all of us personally. So guys, anything last you'd like to say before we wrap up today's episode? As always, it's been fun. Uh, Thanks for joining us, everybody. Yeah, it's always a blast with you guys. Thanks for joining, and uh, hopefully I can figure out my list for the league these next couple days. (laughs) All right, a big thank you to all of our producers and everyone that's helped us with the podcast. And as always, for everyone out there, we look forward to being your go-to source for Frontier Information Online. Your final Frontier, signing off. (laughs) 